From the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. You may have heard that the General Assembly of the Synod of Bishops is meeting all month long in Rome. This is just the latest stage of the years-long Synod on Synodality, which included listening sessions in parishes and other Catholic ministry settings all over the world. Participants will be discussing issues connected to communion, participation, and mission of the church. There will be heightened attention paid to this general assembly phase, and you can already tell that based on the number of New York Times articles about the Synod the first week of October alone. The general assembly, which is meeting this October and next October, will make recommendations to Pope Francis on a wide range of issues facing the church today. One thing that makes this synod different from all the others that came before it is that this is the first time that lay people, including women, are participating as voting members. And one of those lay people is Julia Oseka, and she's my guest today. Julia is a physics and theology major at St. Joseph's University, the Jesuit college in Philadelphia. Originally from a small town in Poland, the story of how Julia came to represent North America and young adults at the Synod in Rome is an incredible one. Julia got involved in a Synod initiative that united the Catholic universities and Newman centers from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. It was a collaborative effort that was unique in the country. From there, thanks to her deep faith, her thoughtful disposition, and her ability to listen intently and generously, Julia was selected to participate in the continental stage of the Synod, and then finally chosen to participate in Rome. I asked her what it was like to find out she was going to the Synod, and how she's navigating missing a month's worth of classes to participate. We also talked about her background and how she found herself at St. Joe's in the first place. When you listen to our conversation, you'll be able to tell how impressive and faith-filled Julia is. It's so great that she's representing young adults and Jesuit higher ed and all of us from North America at the Synod. Along with this episode, we are publishing an article by one of Julia's campus ministers at St. Joe's, Beth Ford McNamee. In the piece, Beth describes the Synod process in Philadelphia that eventually led to Julia's participation in Rome. And you can read that piece at Jesuits.org. Subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, Julia Oseko, welcome to AMDG. Thanks so much for taking the time. It's a historic episode, our first ever episode with uh, featuring a, a lay person who will be a voting member of the um, the Synod of Bishops coming up, which is a historic thing. So thank you so much again for taking time as a student out of your semester, which is already underway, to talk a little bit about your uh, your experience in the synod process and what you're looking forward to. Um, so maybe we could just start by like, so you found out at some point in time that you had been chosen to, to go to Rome and participate in this month-long gathering in October, and then in theory again next October as well. Um, can you just like tell me about that how you found out? Like, was there a phone call? Did you get an email? Like, how, how did you find out? And then, like, what was your reaction? For sure. So, um, the first 
part of me finding out was in late May, and I got an email from USCCB asking me whether I would be fine, comfortable with them putting my name forward um, on the list of 20 prospective candidates to be the delegates from North America. And as you probably know, that list of 20 was submitted to the Vatican, to the Senate office, and then the Roman pontiff, Pope Francis, I'm sure with collaboration with others, um, would choose 10 candidates from each of the continental regions. Um, so it was late May. <laughs> I was having an, um, a layover in Berlin, actually, on my way back home to Poland from, um, from Philadelphia. Um, and I just read this email and I thought, this is crazy. <laughs> I would have to email all of my professors and ask them if that's okay if I miss a month of classes. Um, but the first thing I did too was to call um, one of our campus ministers who was working very closely with us throughout the synodal process on our campus, Dr. Beth Ford McNamee. Um, and it was a very, very joyful, joyful experience. And then I finally found out that um, I not only got to be on the list of the 20, but actually also was invited to participate in the assembly among um, the 10 North American non-bishop delegates. Um, just a couple of days before the, the official announcement, I got an email from the Vatican <laughs> um, saying that, you know, they just wanted to make sure I'm available so that they can make the public announcement a couple of days later. And so, yeah, what was your reaction then when, when that came through? Well, I was extremely shocked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly didn't even think um, that I will be invited, like in the end, even after I was asked whether I could, you know, whether they could put my name for it on the list of the 20. Um, definitely overwhelmed. And still, it's very hard to comprehend for me, like what it actually is, what's the... Um, the, you know, the, the expanse of this event and me being one of the participants. Um, but this feeling of unsettling fear <laughs> is also definitely uh, accompanied by a, a huge gratitude. And, um, and I know that this is a doing of the Holy Spirit, definitely trusting hmm. that it leads somewhere. <laughs> sure. And I'll ask you in a second about the process that led to this. This doesn't just happen. They didn't just pick your name out of a hat, certainly. But um, so like even practically uh, working like as a college student, when you have classes, as you're saying, you're studying physics and, and theology and I'm sure other things as well. Um, so you what do you have to do to be able to like continue in a semester while also you be in Rome for like a month, I'm sure a pretty full schedule. Uh, so how are you going to navigate that? Mm -hmm. So I would not be able to participate in the assembly and continue my schoolwork if not for an extremely supportive faculty community and not only faculty staff too at, at my university. Uh, when I emailed them in May, all of them were so, so supportive. Um, we decided with my advisors to to slightly reduce my course load for this semester and then the next full semester as well. Um, I also chose classes that are maybe on the theology side more related to the issues of the synod and, and topics that I'm already somehow familiar with so that uh, making up for the material wouldn't be as hard. And then my physics professors for my two very hard, challenging <laughs> physics classes this semester. They agreed to record the classes I'm going to miss and um, 
due to our very small class size, they told me that it will be possible for me to make up the material and quizzes and homeworks, uh, you know, a little bit before I leave and then some after I come back. Wow. Yeah. But again, that's something that, you know, if I were invited as a like an employee, I could just say like, all right, someone else has got to take over my stuff for the month and I'll be back. But as a student, you don't have that that luxury if you're not going to like take a leave of absence. So yeah, I just mm -hmm. can't even imagine. Um, so I, let's maybe step back then uh, before we look forward to this. Let's step back to, th again, as I, as I said, like this isn't, this wasn't just a, they found out who you were somehow. Like you had been involved in the synod process in some really cool ways leading up to this announcement. And so like maybe if, like, for our listeners, you could kind of explain how you came to get involved Involved, maybe starting with your university community and, and then the greater Philadelphia higher ed community and beyond. So yeah, kind of tell us uh, that story. Right. So uh, it's really, it's really, really funny because I actually learned about the Synod from AMDG podcast. Hey, all right. <laughs> I've been a very faithful listener since like a couple years back. Um, and I remember I was, I usually listen to the podcast while doing, you know, some random stuff like cleaning the bathroom and I was listening to one of the episodes which was an interview with sister Natalie Bacard and if I remember correctly um, the episode was titled Synodality Starts with Coffee and I thought it's really cool <laughs> and um, sister Natalie Bacard certainly was a person who I still think is extremely cool <laughs> um, so that episode and that interview uh, caught my attention on like a deeper level I had a feeling that this synod, this happening, this thing that's like starting in the church is different than, than the things that the church usually initiated in the past. Um, and it is something that I can relate to on the level of a coffee date and just, you know, meeting with, meeting with another person. Um, but it, I just, you know, kind of had this idea in the back of my head. Uh, but then when I came back to our campus, Dr. Beth again announced that uh, the Senate is um, on its way, you know, and we are in the, on the local stage. Uh, so the local communities are invited to participate and have listening sessions. And um, the Philadelphia area colleges uh, would like to participate in it collectively. Uh, so a bunch of professors and campus ministers got together and created like a synodal collective for college students um, with, with the abbreviation SHEEP, which stands for Synodality in Catholic Higher Education in the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Um, and St. Joe's, my university, was a part of it. So we had local listening sessions on our campus. I attended one of them. It was a beautiful experience for me, really uh, an experience of a space where we can share um, our experiences of the church on so many levels, not only church as the institution or like, you know, ways in which I'm involved in the church, um, but also on a, like a deeply spiritual level. I think that the spiritual conversation part of the synod as one of, you know, the tools <laughs> uh, to conduct synodality was really crucial to it. Um, yeah, so then we gathered together with other college students at La Salle it was a bigger gathering. Um, Archbishop Perez of Philadelphia was there with us too. A lot of our professors and campus ministers and really a bunch of students were in attendance as well. Um, and I was asked to like deliver a five minute reflection on what it meant for me to participate in the local 
gathering on our campus. Um, and I also reflected on what was at that point very, very important to me in the whole, whole synod thing, which was the, um, the, the coffee date nature of it. <laughs> the one-on-one -on -one relationship building, listening, meeting another person. Um, right, and then Bishop Perez was like, do you want to go and get coffee then? <laughs> <laughs> so he ended up, um, you know, having having coffee in May and just talking about synod and, and church and young people in Philadelphia and, and so many other things. And it just, you know, snowballed <laughs> into me getting pretty involved. Sure. And one thing is really, really cool is I think the Philadelphia group that did this gathering like over 10 Catholic schools and then all the Newman um, society groups from different like not Catholic universities. Like, no one else was doing that, you know, um, to kind of gathering on that level. And I'm just for you, as a, you know, sometimes I feel like college, especially like if you're in a you're in a program, you're like kind of really focused on like what you're doing and what's right in front of you and maybe like your friend group or maybe your campus. But like beyond that um, can sometimes be like a challenge is just not in your everyday. So like, what was that experience like to meet other college students from around uh, Philadelphia and, and share with them? Oh, it was definitely very hope filling, <laughs> encouraging, empowering to a certain degree. Um, I left that first meeting, the intercampus meeting at La Salle, feeling so inspired to be in the church to um, to build those personal relationships, to create spaces of vulnerability, of welcoming, um, of you know talking, but not only on the verbal level of talking, but also having this connection with other people, building things, creating things, um, ideas, and new ways of getting involved in the church. It was wonderful, but also it was an experience of, of great diversity. Um, of course, not everyone thinks the way I do. I would even dare to say that there is no person that thinks the way I do. <laughs> um, and that was beautiful to see that all those different people with different ideas, different life experiences, all my age, around my age, wanted to build community, wanted to gather and, and saw their being in the church or their experience with the Catholic Church or some sort of Catholic institution, perhaps, such as a university, important enough to, um, to, to attend like an evening meeting with other people. Sure. And so I know you can't kind of share specifics about who said what and that those spaces are, are held mm -hmm. with kind of that sacred confidentiality. And um, and I know, too, as you're saying, is a really wide range of, of views and experiences. But what were some of the themes that, that you wanted to share or things that you heard that kind of came up as you participated in these different levels, things that like your kind of fellow like early 20-somethings students um, in their relationship with the church? Were there some things that you heard like, like, okay, this is a trend. I'm hearing this a few different times. Like, What were some of those like big picture uh, themes that you heard? Mm -hmm. So I think that the biggest one, um, which we are still working within, like one of the themes, was that young people want to be the now of the church. In contrast to what we often hear, like, oh, the youth is the future of the church. Sure. Sure, <laughs> we are the future of the church as well as the now of the church. We, we are young adults, um, college students, 
but also, you know, high schoolers. And we want to be involved in our communities right now and be seen as people who can be the now of the church. Um, so that was a big one, definitely. And, and we are actually meeting very soon. Uh, well, by the time this podcast will be aired, the meeting will probably be fast <laughs> um, to talk about what, what it means for us to be the now of the church. Another thing that was also uh, said a lot of times and in a lot of different ways, um, I think really touches on on one of the, the pillars of synodality, uh, of this synod in particular, which is communion, uh, in a sense that a lot of young people experience not being welcomed um, by the virtue of parts of their identities that don't fit into this scheme of, of the closed box um, definition of, of like a certain local church community. Um, and those are the peripheries, right? So young people themselves are somehow on the periphery uh, there is not a lot of outreach, not a lot of now <laughs> for young people to be active in. Uh, but also my peers who identify as LGBTQ people, uh, women in, in the church, those things were, um, were voiced a lot of times. Or people struggling with mental illnesses, that's also a big topic and um, definitely a, a very fragile one as well. So from that experience of sharing and, and hearing from with your peers, you then um, participated in, a, in another stage of the synod, right? Like the kind of continental stage. And could you tell us a little bit about that? Like what was involved there and what did you want to bring with you uh, when you were moving beyond just kind of your peers in one place, but to like a, again, a broader audience? Sure. So um, the Continental Assembly of the North American Continental Region, um, it was divided, I believe we we're the only continental region that divided those assemblies into like multiple Zoom sessions um, instead of gathering in one place, one time physically. Um, and I was a participant in one of those sessions via Zoom. So as a representative of young people and of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia, because that, that was my <laughs> affiliation, is my affiliation still, um, I really focused on reading our synthesis, SHEEP, so, so our Synodal Collective uh, created such synthesis um, after our meeting at La Salle, the one that I just mentioned, but also Archdiocese of Philadelphia wrote um, or collected, you know, different experiences into Synodal Synthesis. Um, so it wasn't merely about my own experience, but also to talk about things that were important that surfaced during those conversations in those spaces so now that you're again you're you're going to rome you mentioned like some some trepidation some excitement just like what what excites you most what is what is leading to some of those fears like what uh where do you find yourself on like the kind of the real eve of um the beginning of this process i am excited about the experience of diversity of the church I have never been in a space that is that diverse. I attended World Youth Days in Krakow when I was 15. <laughs> that was pretty diverse, I would say. Mm -hmm. But it was a different kind of gathering. This gathering, the, the General Assembly in Rome, 
will gather primarily bishops still, but also a lot of experts um, and those non-bishop delegates from all regions of the world. Um, and I just, I know it will be challenging because it challenges my own worldview, you know, the way in which I perceive world, Catholicism, faith, God, so many things. Um, but I'm also very open to to enlarging the space of the tent and my own perceptions too. Really excited for that. And yeah, and what I can imagine being in a room with a lot of bishops and the Pope and cardinals and uh, people with a huge amount of degrees could be intimidating too. Like how, like even in your kind of spiritual preparation, like how are you getting yourself ready to kind of be in that that type of space? I know I would feel super intimidated. Um, I do. I am very stressed <laughs> and looking forward to like actually walking in the room in the gathering space. I I can't imagine that. <laughs> and, and and it's not just sitting and listening, right? I mean, it will be you will be participating. So in yeah. in, in small groups discussing things, bringing not just and not as you were saying, not just your own thoughts and feelings, but trying to carry with you the young adults mm -hmm. who you've known, the archdiocese of Philadelphia. That's a lot on any one person. North America. <laughs> North America, the whole continent, right? It's crazy to think about, but um, on a spiritual level, I think that what has already happened on our Sinalo pathway so far, um, th through my own experience, but also through experiences of people who shared their experiences with me, I think it is so incredible, so incredible. We can only, you know, state that it would never have happened if not for the, the the guidance of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was with us through this entire journey so far, and I have absolute certainty mm. <laughs> that the Holy Spirit will be with us in Rome as well. So of course there is anxiousness and, and even fear to a certain degree, um, but I, I, I try to stay um you know to trust mm. oh, yeah that's beautiful um i i am curious too just to maybe to go back even a little further from before the beginning of the synod mm -hmm. process your own faith journey um so you're i guess again a student on hawk hill at, at saint joe's in philly but you're from poland as you've been saying can you tell us a little bit about your own story and journey and, and how you arrived to even be someone who was listening to this podcast or interested in in synodality uh, when you heard about it um yeah bring us back uh, however far back um you want to go Wow, okay. Well, my life is not that long. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, as you said, I am from Poland. I grew up in this very, very rural village um, with like my village, the place where my home is, doesn't even have like a store or a church or a school. So I had to commute. Um, and that also it's in the east of Poland, so culturally pretty conservative. Um, Catholicism is, to to a large degree, like a cultural thing, um, also spiritual. But but culture, the Catholic culture, is a big big part of people's lives, and it was a big part of my life and my family's life too. Um, but it was just something that everyone did. It never um, in my early childhood didn't really appear as a relationship, 
space in, of, of my life and of my identity. But it changed when I went to middle school. Right before I started the first grade of middle school, um, I attended this retreat with Nazareth Youth Ministry um, that was led by the Sisters of the Holy Family of Nazareth. And those are the sisters who also led my middle school and high school that I attended in Warsaw. So capital city of Poland, big city life, <laughs> uh, different opportunities and perspectives. But during that retreat, right before I started my school there in Warsaw, that was the first time that I experienced young people my age. Um, so, you know, I was, I just graduated from sixth grade. I was 13. <laughs> um, talking to me and just bearing witness of their relationship with God and God as being a person <laughs> with whom one can have a relationship. And that was completely novel to me. I mean, I definitely have heard about it before, but I never experienced it. I never saw someone experience it. Um, so I decided to stay in Nazareth Youth Ministry, which wasn't hard because I was already at the school. <laughs> so I just attended meetings and then got more involved and started attending more retreats with young people from all around Poland, also a very diverse community, um, very, very well led. And I think that was the, the primary um, the, the, the primary space in which I developed my spirituality and my relationship with God. Um, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful time, definitely. And then in high school, I met the Jesuits through my friend, actually, <laughs> who during one of those Nazareth youth ministry retreats, uh, he was a college student at the time, and he said, Julia, I want to become a Jesuit. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> Tell me more. <laughs> And through that relationship, I got to know the Jesuits in Warsaw. Uh, I started attending Teze ecumenical prayers that were led by the Jesuits, like within the Jesuit youth ministry in Warsaw, um, which led me to <laughs> St. Joseph's eventually, because in high school I was doing the International Baccalaureate program. So that allowed me to, for, for the smooth transition from Poland to like any English speaking university, wasn't really that hard. So after that experience, how did you then come to St. Joe's? What was it about at St. Joe's that, that caught your attention from from over in, in, in Warsaw? Um, so in, in full transparency, I was not really thinking that I will end up studying in the United States. Um, before I started high school and after I graduated from middle school, I, I was an exchange student in Wisconsin for a year um at a catholic high school with with this organization called global outreach so that was my the first time i've been to the united states and a year-long experience <laughs> so deep waters mm. um it really sparked something within me and and some sort of yearning to go back couldn't really name it still pretty ambiguous <laughs> mm. um but I was encouraged by people from the Jesuit ministry to apply to Jesuit universities. They told me that if I apply and get in, I will get free t-shirts. And I was like, wow, that's cool. <laughs> free t-shirts are pretty cool. Um, but of course, I don't know if you know that, but higher education in Poland, public higher education is free, hmm. um, which is a major deal breaker. And education in states is not free. <laughs> no. um, so that was really um, a hardship. That That's why I didn't really think I'm going to end up here. I was literally applying for the t-shirts with no <laughs> many hopes. Um, 
but then after I applied to St. Joseph's as one of those university that universities that didn't require me to submit SATs or ACTs, which I wasn't gonna write why for a t-shirt um, and didn't have any application fees too, which was important to me. Uh, an admission counselor reached out and she told me that uh, she saw I'm applying to be a physics major and there is this scholarship um, for women in, in STEM, um, in science and mathematics. And she advised me to apply for the scholarship. So I did apply and the scholarship I ended up getting the scholarship, <laughs> which allowed me to to come here and study at St. Joseph's. So physics, the hard sciences, um, theology, those are worlds that I, th I think go well together. And we've had on our show a number of Jesuit and other Catholic scientists who talk mm -hmm. about how those things work together. But I think like in the, the broader culture, sometimes it feels like, oh, faith and science, those things don't get along. So for you as a person of faith and um, a growing uh, physicist, just like how do those work together for you in your own life? That is a great question. <laughs> Something I, I am still discovering. Um, I think I think that the possibility of those two areas of disciplines um, even like existing within me at the same time also started with the Jesuits and, and brother Guy Consolmagno. I read I read his book Would You Baptize an Extra Celestial? And I was like, whoa, this is crazy. This is so cool. <laughs> you could think about those things in like a different way uh, than most scientists or most theologians would approach them, right? Like an intersectional approach. Uh, but I, I I came to St. Joseph's thinking that I will just I will just keep physics as my major. Uh, it was the classes I took here at St. Joe's that um, were just so captivating. <laughs> I couldn't resist. So I first became uh, a theology and religious studies minor. And then I decided to declare a second major. <laughs> and here I am trying to find out how those two work together. Hmm. Um, so you know, there's a lot you're bringing with you, as we've said, you know, that that background, certainly. And and making your way as a, a Catholic in the world today, in a world that's increasingly secular and will be in this in this room. And I, ma like, I wonder if, uh, I imagine you'll get to see Pope Francis close up, um, but like wondering if you got a coffee meeting with him. I think he drinks yerba mate more than, um, more than coffee. So if you got to have a, a yerba mate with Pope Francis and sat down for a while, I was wondering like what, what are the th and I imagine this is this is another way of asking what you hope to bring with you into the all these conversations you'll be in, but especially just imagining in this like Pope Francis meeting, like what is it that you would want to say? Like what what do you want? Like your kind of things you want to lead with? If you didn't have that much time, like what are your kind of um, those those things you would want to make sure you didn't miss out the chance to say? Mm -hmm. I think that I would want to practice synodality and not because <laughs> I don't I don't necessarily see myself. Uh, having like a professional conversation with Pope Francis and like really entertaining his day by like asking questions that are relevant to his daily life and like what he does for a living, which <laughs> can even put it this way. <laughs> um, and I honestly don't think that um, Yerba Mate or, or a coffee date is even like a space for those sorts of conversations. Uh, I think I would just like ask him, how was your day? How are you doing? how how do you feel about this whole synod thing 
I would want to get to know him as a person too, which I think like that would be such a treasure if that could ever happen, because there is a certain uh, image of Pope Francis painted by the media, the books written about him, the articles, of course, you know, like we, we can know so much about him, but to get to know him as a person, I would love, I would love for that to happen. Hmm. So maybe one last question for you. So like the synod is something that gets written about and talked about like in the Catholic press a lot, you know, are you supportive of the synod? Are you not supportive? Are you participating? Are you like, are you not participating? What is it going to do? Is it going to change everything? And I'm just curious for you as someone who is, again, has been involved in a lot of levels and a lot of ways, like give me some advice for like what I should be, how I should be like, thinking about the synod or like looking at like what's going to come out or um, sometimes I just think like, oh, I want to like read headlines and see like, oh, what changes are, are going to be made? Like are women going to be or can be are eligible to become ordained deacons? And I want to see that headline or I want to hear about like the the other like hot button things. So I'm just for you is just like how like, you're approaching it, how for us as some people who will be kind of watching from the outside at this stage who have participated in the, the past. Um, yeah, how how should I approach it? What should mm -hmm. my kind of dis like my uh, my posture be uh, as I approach it? This is a million dollar question. <laughs> I think it's it's so complex, and I definitely agree with you. We hear so much about different opinions about the synod itself, but also about like what the synod could yield, uh, what documents could be issued. This is the first synod where. Uh, instrumentum laboris is not a draft of the final document, right? We we basically have we basically have spiritual exercises on this in it instead of proposals, um, which is also just so novel. It uh, leaves us with a lot of question marks. But I think that what this and so many other things about this in it, what what it shows us is that it is a circular experience, right? So. It has been said so many times by, by Cardinal Gregg and Sister Sister Nathalie Bacard that the Synod is not about the documents issues, um, but about building Synodal Church. So we started with the grassroots. We are going up to the General Assemblies, but then it's meant to go back to the grassroots and influence those, those primary communities, our families, our college communities, our parish groups. Um, I think this is something that could that should be the main like point of our attention not necessarily the the possible grand um changes which i don't know if, if anything like that is going to happen we we saw that the synod on youth and, and vocational discernment was too many also a disappointment that it didn't yield like anything great groundbreaking but we see years later that one of the fruits of that synod on youth and young people was uh, the presence of young people on the next synodal assembly, right? Mm. <laughs> which, which is pretty groundbreaking. But we saw it year, years later. Um, so I think just just looking, being open to to those changes growing organically is a good approach. But also focusing on rebuilding our communities in a synodal way is also very very important. And that especially I think in the college setting, um, 
what is really cool about it is that it doesn't necessarily have to apply to Catholic communities, right? Although the synod and synodality is <laughs> conducted within the Catholic Church. But, you know, St. Joseph's is, is a Catholic institution, but so many of our students are not Catholic. Synodality applies to just everyday life, to being attentive, to active listening, to building communities that want to uh, promote communion, that um, want to live by their mission, that want participation of all, you know, inclusion of, of all people in those communities. So I think that everyone has something to learn and practice synodality in their own way. Well, Julia Oseka, thank you again so much for taking the time and for all the, the depth of your reflect, reflection and um, sharing your experiences and, and hopes and even some of your, your fears and trepidations with us. Just I really appreciate your how genuine uh, you were in, in this conversation and I'm sure uh, things that uh, people saw in you and why you were, were put forward. So I'm just I'm proud to have chatted with you and will be uh, excited to follow up um, after the experience to unpack it and see what, what it was like for you. But uh, all the best and, and have, a, have a great time in Rome. Thank you, and thank you for the conversation. It was pretty awesome. <laughs> AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States, and recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. The show is edited by Marcus Bleach. Our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leach, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation with the Jesuits, Connect with a Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to AMDG on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire. Music